Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. I'm Pastor Doug Taylor, and I'm joined by Dr. Dade Vance, lead pastor of Crossroads Church. This podcast is designed to help you go deeper in God's Word and to grow deeper in life application. We're in the podcast series right now about the Sermon on the Mount. It's been a great series, and we're we're into chapter 5. We're going to look at 10 verses in, in Matthew chapter 5, and we've titled this um, Redefining Kingdom Commitments. Have you ever made a commitment that, like, after you made it, a little bit later you wished you hadn't made it, and then you were kind of stuck? Oh, there, there have been many of times where uh, where that has happened. Uh, a lot of times, actually, my wife has done that, and I'm like, why did you commit to that? Did she um, commit you to something? <laughs> yes. Yes, it has happened. Uh, or, or she committed herself, which by default meant uh, that I'm committed to it as well, and I uh, didn't know that. Uh, one of them was I, I committed to coaching a team, one of my boys' teams. And after I got into it, I was like, what am I doing? And I just prayed for it to end. I wanted to end so quickly. And uh, it was bad. It was a soccer team. And, and I enjoy soccer, but but it, it was a long season in the cold. Or the fall was just cold that season. And I just wish I never would have committed to it. It was just a long, drawn-out season. How about you? You ever had those moments? A funny one that I'm thinking of is a girl one time made a note, and she wanted me to put it in my football cleats. And I said yes, and I don't know why I said yes, but like partway through the game, I'm thinking, what am I doing? And I took that thing out, and you know, was it over at that point? Because that's that's I don't know, but I'm like, what what am I doing? There's a note in my shoe. Yeah, you know, it's like you just said yes, and then it was a commitment you didn't really want to keep. Yeah, you know, but it's kind of a silly thing. You did it on the field. You threw it out on the field. I was out of. I came out of the game. Was out of the game, and I kicked my shoe off and got it out. Got that paper out of there. Felt better then. And th- she is not your wife today. Just want to confirm no, that with everybody no, listening or watching. No, that is not no. your wife. So that didn't work. Right. It clearly. And hopefully she's not listening to the podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, um, but we're going to look at, there's three, three sections here in these 10 verses. One is on lust. You know, one is on, on commi- making those commitments. And the other one is on divorce. Three heavy things. Jesus gets right after it here. And this is his first public message. And, right. he, gets, and he gets right at, after it. Can I ask you some questions about this section? Sure, absolutely. So let, let's look at the first one. Could you read those first few verses, like verses 27 through like 30? Yeah, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye, right eye cause you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand cause you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So we're going into talking about lust here. Yeah. Right off the bat, Jesus is, is right in their face. So Pastor Dave, can you define lust? What, what, what are they talking about in this passage of scripture yeah and and just as a reminder through this series you know what jesus is doing is he is reaffirming the law but then reorienting the people to what the law was really meant to be about and that's the heart and so you know we most people would agree don't commit adultery right no one gets married and thinks i'm going to commit adultery um the question becomes what about lust what does lust look like and the word lust here is actually the greek word epithumeo and it literally is the word desire. It's not a bad word. It's not a negative word. Desires can be good. They can be positive. You can desire food. You can desire a mate. You can desire a car or house or, or an item that you want to get. You can desire friends, right? There, there are good things that we desire. And that's the word desire here. But, but when it turns negative is when that desire becomes 
uh, become something we shouldn't have or can't have or or that we when we have it, we're going to sin. And that's the word lust. Lust is the negative form of the word desire. And it has the idea of, of going after something that we shouldn't have or really can't have. And so really this this command isn't just connected to the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. It's really connected to the 10th commandment, which is you shall not covet. You shouldn't want something that's not yours. So in the text, he says that if it, you look upon a woman as, with a lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. That, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean sexual, but it certainly can mean sexual. What, what I mean is it could be a husband or wife, a spouse who's saying, man, I wish I had that person as my spouse. And it may not just be sexual. It could be it could be emotional. It could be mental. And all those things are, are really inferred in the text. But explicitly, he mentions adultery. And so it seems to him uh, more explicitly imply, if I can say that, although those, those tend to contradict, uh, that it is sexual in nature as well. Jesus offers some radical suggestions in this. Yeah. Uh, pastor Jesse's our next steps pastor, so should he have a chainsaw and a and a hammer and a pick yeah. out there for people that have that have <laughs> lusted? Yeah, you know, this would be a great ministry in the churches to say, you know, we, we have some people that are going to cut off arms and pluck out eyes. That's going to be our our uh, new ministry position. <laughs> um, yeah, Jesus goes to an extreme here. And I think a couple of things that, that I would highlight. First of all, there has to be, be an admittance uh, that there is a lust issue. And I, I just want to highlight that because I think it starts by understanding thi- this, these radical suggestions of Jesus begin with an admittance by us that we all struggle with lust at times. And that lust, again, it doesn't have to be sexual, but it can look many different ways. It can be, I wish I had that spouse. I wish I had this scenario. I wish I had that circumstance. Um, and in our culture today, uh, Doug, lust is rampant. And it's rampant in, in all the worlds. I think of um, in every area of the world. And I think of uh, some you know, some statistics that prove that. And I just share a few of them. You know, there are 420 million pornographic internet in, uh, pages. Uh, sex is the number one thing searched for. Uh, 42.7% of all internet users view pornography. And so it's, it's a, it's a big deal in the Christian world. Uh, 60% of all Christian men and 30% of all Christian women say they're addicted to pornography. So this is an issue. Uh, in fact, I was reading one magazine called the guardian magazine. They pulled 3000 people and they found that one in five adults uh, were actually in love with somebody other than their spouse. They, they really loved somebody else, even though they were married to another. Um, and then th- it went on to say uh, 29%, 30% of men and 20% of women uh, would actually leave their spouse today if the right situation came about. So this topic is, is a real topic. And Jesus here says if this is a, this is a, uh, a drastic problem, then you got to take drastic measures. That's what Jesus is getting at. And so he uses the terminology of if your right hand or your right eye offend, you cut them off. And, and what he's talking about there isn't literally to cut off your hand or eye or pluck out your eye. What he's getting at is the right hand and the right eye were, were considered the dominant. They were considered what controlled everything else in our lives, right? It, it's what we see and what we touch. That's where lust stems from. And he's saying, it, so if lust is an issue, get rid of what would be considered the strongest area of that lust. Cut it off. Get rid of it. Uh, run from it quickly. And that's his point. He's using a bit of exaggeration to say you'd rather lose a body part than, than, than they go to hell, right? And that's his point is you'd rather lose a body part. You'd rather cut off the issue uh, than to not really reflect the kingdom. What are some steps we can take to battle lust? Yeah. That's a Let, great... Let's talk about that. Some practical things, some application things to battle it, lust. It, if, if we all admit 
that we all have problems with this. And I think that's very important. Every one of us, at times our lust, our desires turn to lust. And what I mean by that, it starts as a positive, it ends with the sinful negative. And it's it's unintentional at times, it's accidental at times. We don't mean to go there, but, but... we have those moments. And we all can admit that we're all in this battle together. Some are, are a little bit farther along in the journey than others. Some have learned to overcome it. But one of the things that I found is, is really memorizing right scriptures. And one of the scriptures I would I memorize is, as Jesus talks about this, one of the ways we, we cut off lust is by making sure we know what we need to be doing. And 2 Timothy 2.22 is one of my favorite scripture passages. It says, so flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace and then it says along with those who call on the lord with a pure heart i love this picture it says uh to first of all run from lust run from it get get away from it i mean the idea of flee is run with with your life at stake run away from the tiger and lion that's coming after you that's the picture and then it says run to and we're running to righteousness uh righteous love faith and peace or, or righteous faith peace and love and the picture of that is really a progression. When I choose righteousness, my love uh, of God increases, my faith increases, and all of a sudden peace rules my heart. And that's the image here. And, and then it says not only to run to something, but then run with other people. And I think that's the threefold way we battle lust. And uh, let me let me kind of repeat this. Run from lust, run to righteousness, faith, love, and peace and then run with other people. That's why community is so important. Have people in your lives uh, who are going to challenge you, who are going to equip you, who are going to who are going to drag you at times to say, don't do it, don't give in, C- keep with me. That's the image of that verse. Run from, run to, and run with. And they're all, <clears throat> they're all really important. And that uh, accountability piece is something that we take serious. All the pastors and elders at, at our church all have a product called Covenant Eyes, and we have accountability. I have people that see everything I do on my devices. I know you have that as well. That's right. Um, let's let's move to the next area, divorce. Yeah, which can be a tough a tough thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, can you read those those verses there, verse thirty one and thirty two? Sure. It says, "It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery." Divorce isn't a new concept. It's not something that just started in the last hundred years or so. But what was the Jewish teaching like in the first century on divorce? Yeah, and what's interesting here, Jesus is is connecting to uh, an Old Testament law found in Deuteronomy 24. And so he's actually stating what was given in uh, the, the second law, the Deuteronomy, after, after the law was destroyed and the new generation came in, they restated the law. And this is that law of divorce. And so we find divorce all the way back in the beginning of the, the the Hebrews, before they ever became a nation, there was a law related to divorce. And we know, because Moses says it, it's because of the hardness of man's heart. It's because of sin that we have divorce. This was never God's intention. This was never God's plan. Uh, God's plan was for marriage to be lifelong. But because sin happened, we have divorce that happens. And so uh, we find this understanding to be really the understanding of the Jewish people continually that this idea that God desires permanence but divorce happens because of the hardness of man's heart um, in Jesus day there were actually uh, three different views predominant views or many views um, and we know this because of a book that was written after Jesus time called the Mishnah and it is the oral teachings of the rabbis in writing here's what they taught so they put law on top of law to protect the law 
And there were uh, three predominant views. First of all, there was a view of Shammai who believed that a divorce should happen or could happen as a result of unfaithfulness, specifically sexual unfaithfulness, but any unfaithfulness that divorce could happen. Uh, the second view was that of Hillel. He was a little bit liberal, but he thought divorce could happen for a- anything, almost any reason. Um, and so it could be uh, a wife burns dinner. She could be divorced. Uh, a husband uh, doesn't take care or doesn't provide something. He could be divorced. And so, and, and by the way, when we read the scripture, divorce usually focuses on men divorcing women because that was a common culture of the day. Uh, very rarely did women uh, leave men. And it was just the culture, right, wrong, or otherwise. That's not what we're saying. It's what the Bible points out as the cultural reality. Um, but the application is the same. And then we have a guy named Akaba, And Akaba actually, he taught kind of like Hillel, you could divorce for anything, but you could even divorce if you were attracted to somebody else. And so the picture was, you could be walking down the street and go, I want that person. And you could divorce just to have that person. And so you can imagine, so I want to paint the picture. If you lived in the first century and you wanted to get a divorce, you could pick any view and say, I'm going to follow that view. So if you were a Jew, you could say, I'm going to go with that view because that view fits what I'm experiencing. And so I want to have that. And so it created chaos uh, in in really the Jewish world of that day of what divorce is really about. And by the way, in that mission, there are 55 pages on the topic of divorce. It was a big topic in their day. What do you think Jesus is focusing on when he's talking about divorce in the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, I, I like to think, you know, as we hear about those different options, we, we might say, well, that seems absurd. But all you have to do is go to Amazon and look up divorce. It, there are books on top of books. I'm going to talk about books about this. There are so many viewpoints on it. And what I think Jesus is getting at, and I, I think it's very important that we understand, he, he's not saying there's no cause for divorce. He actually says the exception clause, except for the case of sexual immorality. So there is a cause for divorce. By the way, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is going to give another reason, and that's going to be abandonment. Someone says, I want to divorce you. I don't, and you know, nothing you can do about it. Uh, there is then freedom for divorce in that situation when your spouse is leaving you and saying, I'm done. Um, that's the image. So we have these exception clause. So Jesus is not saying there's no reason to be married. What Jesus though is getting at is an argument for the permanence of marriage. So here's the culture. The culture is saying divorce, find your reason, get divorced if you want to. Jesus says, but I say to you, don't divorce. The idea is to fight for marriages. What Jesus is getting at is not another argument for why divorce should happen. He's giving an argument as to why we should consider making our marriages work and fighting for them. And that's the image that I think we find in the, in the text is Jesus is actually fighting for the permanence and forgiveness that needs to be found in marriage, not the easy out. And so I would say to anyone, don't let divorce be a first option. Let it be a last option. Don't let it be a first choice. Let it be a last option. Does divorce happen? Yes. As a church, we're going to fight for marriages. We're going to fight for the authenticity and the permanence of marriage. Does divorce happen? Yes. And we care for those people. And we believe God is redeeming. God is reconciling. And God reorients us to be kingdom people even after the struggle and, and uh, devastation of divorce. And it is devastating uh, when marriages fall apart. God redeems that. But we should fight for our marriages. And that's what Jesus is getting at. It's kingdom people fight for their marriages. As we close out this podcast, I want to talk about that section that says, let your yes be yes 
and your no no yeah something i heard a lot growing up that was a verse my mom talked about and it's so wise that when you make a commitment you're yeah. going to stick to it and jesus talks about that right after he talks about marriage yeah he talks about that think kind of counting the cost and thinking before you make a commitment marriage or otherwise yeah how do we see people um in our culture kind of manipulating their commitments yeah it's a great uh, a great question and, and it's so true and i don't think there's any action you mentioned it but i think just the emphasis uh to emphasize the fact after talking about lust after talking about marriage jesus follows up by saying hey don't take an oath um let your yes be yes and your no be no simply when you say yes let it be yes when you say no let it be no um and in the first century, they would take oaths on the most important things, heaven, earth, their own head. Jesus says, listen, God owns them all. Your, your oath is really against God. And so just say yes and mean it. Um, when we think about um, how we manipulate today, here's what we do. And I, I, we probably both can say how we've seen this in our own lives and in the lives of other people in ministry, uh, where we make commitments and then we realize man, I wish I never made that commitment, or I now have some regret about that commitment. And, and can I tell you, the, the truth of it is probably most of our commitments are going to have some regrets because we, we have no commitment is perfect. No commitment goes perfectly. And so uh, we make a commi commitment and then there's going to be things that are going to pull us away a bit. Okay. And so commitments happen. And then we begin to say, well, I don't know if I can keep that commitment. And so what we do is we don't, we don't drop the commitment specifically verbally. We don't drop the commitment because we know that's going to make us look bad. And so we want to protect our self-image. So what we do is begin to self-justify a change in that commitment. And, and we say things like, well, this is what I meant by that, or this is what I really was going to do. And so we change the commitment. And what happens is, is we begin to self-justify ourselves out of our commitment where we actually devalue our own word. What do I mean? Is all of a sudden we begin to, to change the commitment just a slightly, but it's making our word be devalued, meaning people can't trust us. And as leaders, as people, the two things we, we, we live and do is to build trust and then get results from whatever it is we're doing. And as people, when we don't have trust anymore, when we've lost our word, everything changes. And so that's what Jesus is getting at is, listen, let our yes be yes. Tell the truth. Speak the truth. If you can't do it, don't commit to it. That would be a simple truth. Um, let 100% of the things we say be 100% true. And then secondly, uh, it would be to keep commitments consistent. When we make a commitment, stick to it. Don't change it. Don't warp it. And if we have to get out of a commitment, just be honest about it and say, you know what? I, I thought I could do this. I can't do it anymore. Um, and especially in circumstances of our work in different places, most people understand when we say, Hey, I just, I thought I could do it and I can't. And uh, we don't like to do that because we like to save face, but how, how important is it for us to be people of our word? And that's, I think Jesus point. Pastor Dave, thanks for walking us through this passage and thank you for watching.